Are you ready? Are you ready for September? 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 Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Welcome to the next installment of the School of September series, brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast, in conjunction and partnership with Phelps Game Calls and Spree Extreme Mountain Gear. Elk Hunting 201. in session. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of School of September for June of 2021. I know that it is July and I'm behind schedule for getting this out and released and all that, uh, but it's been uh, quite a few weeks for us, so I'll explain that in just a minute. But uh, uh, welcome. This is going to be a really good episode for you guys. Um, I'm really excited to tell you about it. And uh, I have got Dirk Durham the Bugler on and I have got Trent Fisher from Born and Raised Outdoors, uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But so I just wanted to tell you that uh, kind of what we did and why it's been such a rough couple of weeks for us. Uh, so we, you, you, you know, if you've listened to this, that usually I say this is Jim Huntsman coming at you from the Broken Time Studio in Hayden, Idaho. Well, now it is Jim Huntsman coming at you from the Broken Time Studio in Clark Fork, Idaho. And so we have moved to the mighty Clark Fork Valley in North Idaho. Um, we uh, we sold our house, and we sold almost everything in it. I mean, we sold the beds, the dressers, the couches, TVs, fridges. I, I, we sold everything, all our furniture, and uh, sold the house. We picked up everything. We bought a fifth wheel, and we bought 26 acres in the mountains up here in North Idaho. I'm about seven minutes from Montana, and I don't know, just kind of right on the border of Montana and Idaho. It's really cool, really cool spot. We've got uh, the Clark Fork River kind of to one side. We've got uh, rivers on on basically all sides of us except for one just to the south of us. It's nothing but mountains and access to some of the most amazing national forests that you can imagine and uh, the little town of Clark Fork is just spectacular. This has been a dream of my wife and I's for a long time. You should see the elk rubs on this property. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but, yeah, so that's what we're doing. We moved out here. We uh, we kind of wanted – this is – like I said, this has been a dream for a long time. We wanted to live kind of more remote and further away and, and – uh, secluded in a lot of ways we we our closest neighbor is about a mile away um and you know ironically i've got much better phone service and internet out here than uh what i did in hayden and that's just because of the nature of of the landscape where my where my phone can they they put this cell tower over in clark fork (laughs) and we pick it up pretty good so i'm pretty happy about that i think the uh, podcasts are going to be a lot faster and easier to download 
which again is really funny because we're a lot more remote. Um, but our goal, you know, we've got uh, we've got our two daughters here at home, and they are 10 and 12. And if if you guys have been listening to the there is a new podcast out there uh, called Bear Grease, and it's with uh, Clay Newcomb. And Clay is a really interesting guy. He's a really good storyteller. If you guys haven't heard that podcast, you should check it out. But he says something in the intro that applies to our situation and why why we kind of made the choice to move out here. Uh, and it's something I've been saying for a long time. And and what he says in the in the intro is living life close to the land. And that really speaks to what our goal was. My wife and I, uh, what our goal was with this and raising our kids out here and, and, and just living, like I said, like just close to the land, close to nature. We've got everything on this property. We've got elk and bear and, and uh, deer and uh, where we're located. We are just in kind of the middle of all this access to all this public land where in like three minutes I could be into the national forest and, and hunting elk and uh, you know, just experiencing all that that has around us, and it's it's been a a big deal, a super important thing, and a, and a quite the juncture in our life. But that's also why it's been a couple weeks since I've been able to release a podcast. So um, I appreciate you guys bearing with us uh, while this has been going on, and uh, we are really excited. I'm going to tell you guys more about it in other episodes, and we're going to do some like YouTube videos on it to just show what we're what we're planning to do and and how we're living out here we've got so currently we've got no power i'm running two different generators um we've got no water we're waiting for a uh we are on the schedule for a well to be installed uh there's there's just i mean we're literally it's like we're camping you know and uh, other than this big ass fifth wheel we bought (laughs) definitely not something i'd take uh hunting or anything but it's uh, it's nice. It's it's got all the space and you know all the all the bells and whistles and whatnot. So it's going to work out until we build, and we're we're going to be building probably next year uh, before the house goes up. But the house is uh, definitely in line to be uh, installed out here, and so we're gonna we're gonna be doing that. It's just going to be quite the adventure. The kids are involved. Uh, we've got all sorts of stuff going on out here. Um, I bought a John Deere tractor pretty excited about that i've been cruising around that kind of getting the the property leveled out and and uh, where our building site is i've had to clear that out and man i tell you what i underestimated the amount of dust that comes out of that when you when you clear all the ferns and and all the vegetation out how dusty it gets so i've got uh, like 20 yards of gravel coming in to help help get that under control anyway i can go on and on i could probably do a whole episode talking about uh our goal and and what uh, the lifestyle we've chose to to lead out here and change from living it's not like we lived in town before uh, we were just outside of town on on five acres and had all the you know we we're close to all the restaurants we could actually get like uber to deliver dinner and and no it's not called it's not uber what is that other one grubhub that's what it was that's what we miss grubhub <laughs> but uh, that that's okay so um this episode, let's just get into the episode here because I think that's the exciting part. Uh, we've got September is only a couple of months away. Um, we've got July and August. Some of your seasons open in August. Uh, I know your listeners down there in Utah, uh, you're looking at like mid-August, I think, is when that season. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, so September is coming quick. And if you're not excited, you're listening to the wrong podcast. 
I can't. I actually can't believe how close it is. It, I don't. I don't know what happened since last September till now. All of a sudden, I found myself on this bare piece of land, living in trailers, <laughs> to, and and September's just around the corner. Uh, so we're gearing up. You guys know the idea behind School of September. And this episode, I brought in some of the best elk hunters, two of the best elk hunters that I know. Uh, and they agreed to come on together. And the reason I did that is because they're just super entertaining. They've got like this uh, charismatic connection. And, and if you've ever watched the Born and Raised Land of the Free series with Trent, when they bring on Dirk um, and, and he's hunting with them. And they, they've just got this really fun, entertaining connection. And that's kind of the purpose with this. But we, we go through all sorts of different uh, tactics, strategies, you know. Uh, recommendations, advice, hunting tips, all that kind of stuff that we that is normal for the School of September. So with that, guys, let's get right into it. With the School of September for June 2021, released in July, with Dirk Durham the Bugler and Trent Fisher from Born and Raised Outdoors, which, by the way, guys, if you have not watched the Land of the Free series, if so the, this episode and, and all these School of September episodes were kind of touching the surface. But if you really want to get a true experience, if you've never elk hunted before, to see what kind of a grind it is and and have it's not just educational because it's meant to be entertaining and it, and it really is entertaining. Uh, these guys do a great job uh, over at Born and Raised Outdoors. I've, I've been big fans of their platform for a long time. I've watched all their stuff. Um and it's just it's if you haven't seen him, you really should go check him out. If if you want to learn about elk hunting, you'll love the series. If you want to just be entertained and watch really good hunting content, go to Born and Raised Outdoors on their YouTube channel, and I'll put all their stuff in the show notes uh, so you guys can check it out. So Trent is just one of the uh, founding members of Born and Raised Outdoors, and him and Dirk have become really close and really good friends over the years, and so I'm excited. To get them on for this episode and introduce them without further ado, guys, School of September with Dirk and Trent. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this installment for June 2021 of the School of September. You guys are going to really like this episode. I uh, I really put my thinking cap on 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 for this for this particular episode and thought, you know, what would be super cool? Two of the like biggest authorities in elk hunting out there uh, to get them on together because if you've ever seen them on video together, they're a hoot, they're a ball, they'll make you laugh, and they teach and educate elk hunters everywhere. And I'm really looking forward to this one. So, guys, give it up for my friend Dirk Durham, the Bugler, and Mr. Trent Fisher from Born and Raised Outdoors. Guys, thanks for joining me. I appreciate you being here. Man, I oh, hey like there. That, was, that was like a stadium intro. That was like yeah. a stadium well, intro. You know, like, like we were talking, I, I have to, I probably should say something about the echoiness of my voice. I, I'm in the Broken Tine studio, and, and those uh, that listen know that we're moving out. We've got, uh, we've got some property up north. And this is my last night in the house, and the last studio, we're, or I'm sorry, episode we're recording in this studio. But everything's out, so it's not soundproofed. It sounds like I'm in the Coliseum. <laughs> well, well, Jim, I just, I thought you were kind of going with a theme here. Like you want, it sounded like when people <laughs> say 
our names right before we walk out with our capes on. You know, the, yeah. whole, you know, you know, yeah. the crowd goes wild. And, <laughs> the crowd I, I goes wild. Talking, I, I got talked into that one. I got, <laughs> I got talked into that one. <laughs> Let's see. It sounds I, I can do the sound effect without even pushing a button. On the left, we have Dirk Durham. <laughs> and on the right, Trent Fisher. Sounds pretty good, right? Oh, yeah, not bad. Not yeah, bad. I, it's not terrible. You might, you might stick to your day, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, man. That hurts. <laughs> now, like I said, I, I appreciate you guys joining me in that. And uh, for those of you just tuning in for the first time uh, for a School of September episode, just uh, a quick rundown. The School of September are bonus episodes of the Western Huntsman podcast that we put together that are just specific to elk hunters in September. And, uh, Trent, let's, um, I, I'm sure everybody listening in knows who you are on this. Uh, Dirk, you are a, like a frequent, I should send you a t-shirt cause you're like a frequent flyer on, on this show. And, legend. um, legend. he is a legend. He's a legend in his own legend mind. Status. And you know, I don't know what to tell you <laughs> other than yeah, Dirk, you got me in trouble with my wife, man. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> she, no, not really. But she did tell me after that bear hunt, she's like, you're lucky you got home earlier. You and Dirk would have had some explaining to do. And I'm like, Uh-oh. oh, man. Jeez. Man, mama bear's not happy. No, no. Apparently you don't go hunting when you're trying to move out of a house. But anyway, yeah. Trent, why don't you give us a quick uh, snapshot of who you are, just in case anybody doesn't know who you are. And uh, we'll take it from there, brother. Yeah, I don't know what that even means, but, uh, yeah, no, we, uh, just, we started a company in 07 and uh, it's called born and raised outdoors. And we just started to film all of our stuff, everything that we did. We started out in the Roosevelt woods in the Western United States. And, um, anyway, and went from there just because we wanted to see videos, you know, and, and Roosevelt videos. We'd never really seen that, uh, you know, videos that were put together of Roosevelt hunting. And anyway, that just morphed into the next thing, the next thing. And then, um, fast forward to now we have a YouTube channel and done a lot of elk hunting, a ton of, um, elk videos, whether it was, you know, just in Oregon here on, in the Roosevelt woods or, in the Rocky mountain, uh, yeah, all States involved mm-hmm. as far as that goes. So it's I, just been, we've just been super blessed. I got a question for you. I, yeah, when, when you let, okay. So it's 2007. I'm just, I, I've always been kind of curious and I'm sure you've, you've uh, described this at some point cause you guys mm-hmm. put out a lot of content and, and there's a ton out there. And, uh, I'm just curious, like, so it's like you and Cody started this thing. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, we started full time this, this is whole, this whole thing's been, it's been morphedized in, in a hundred different ways. As far as that goes, me and my brother actually had this idea years and years ago and about just doing, you know, but we didn't doing the footage wise, but we just didn't have the capabilities. Um, Cody, uh, he was right in at the same time and Cody was the one, the brains behind the whole operation that actually put it to life and actually um, produced the footage as far as that goes. And then also hunted in the footage. He's an amazing hunter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just, it was a team. Uh, the whole thing that I guess that I could say about us as a group is we've been a team from day one and um, 
and work from there. Yeah, and I, I guess that's what my question is. Is like back, it's 2007. Like you and Cody, you're sitting around maybe having a beer or something. Like, what was the conversation? Hey, let's start a because uh, it's like before YouTube really got you know. So 2007, if you want to hear the conversation, was we need a camera. We're hunting all the time. We hunted every single day. So it was, we all had full-time jobs and that didn't change until just a, just a few short four years ago. So, I mean, from then we all had jobs. And so I'm cutting trees every single day. And it's, um, it's one of those things where it's like, everybody has their own job. What do you guys think about just trying to do something on footage to pay for our hunts? And I'm talking just in Oregon. I'm not talking out of state. I'm talking, I'm talking just to afford the, our hunting bill. That's all I'm talking about and trying to do a DVD back then. DVDs was, uh, it was the kicking thing, man. Yeah, it was man. the real deal. So anyway, and so we looked toward Trevor because Trevor got a school loan for college. None of us had money at the time. <laughs> and so Trevor had a couple extra dollars laying over from his school loan and that bought our first camera. Man, so, I'm glad I'm you, not the only one that blew some college money on something other than college. Yeah. So, and so that was, that was that, that's where that, that's where that started out. And then, I mean, and then we afforded our next cameras through that and then afforded our next season. And then, uh, it, it was years later that we could actually afford to actually hunt out of state just through DVD sales. And then we got at all the archery shops and we, you know, we actually, it started becoming a thing. One and raised was started to become a thing. And then anyway, it just, it just kind of progressed from there. And then into YouTube. Um, yeah. After meeting Hushin, honestly, they said, you need to do this YouTube thing. And we're like, yeah, I don't know about that. And then we did. And um, now it turns out a DVD player, not a lot of homes have them. Dude, you want to you want to know how old I am? I so I, I I keep talking about how we're moving. I just packed up a VHS, a VCR, and a bunch of v, VHS tapes, and I'm gonna hold on to them because they might that be like, might be worth something. Yeah, right. Those might be worth something. A few years down the road. But yeah. um, no, it's a it's a different deal, man. It's man. It's amazing how it's morphedized into what it is. Well, it's crazy because you guys were like the first ones to put this day by day and i don't know if you're the first ones ever or whatever but the the, the no, first we ones the first that really ones that. caught my attention that. yeah yeah and and i remember when it came out and this is it's this land of the free series and i'm i'm going what is this land of the free series i got to check this out and uh it, it just it's an amazing thing because what it does is is it it could take somebody that sucks at hunting like me right and it, it, you, you could sit and watch this day by day thing. And it's like, you come out of this thing with a whole different perspective as to, because you guys show the good and the bad and, and Dirk, you guys, you've done videos like this where, where you guys just show the good and the bad. It's not just a bunch of bullshit that, um, you see on like the sportsman channel, right? Where, right. where baiting deer in Tennessee and the big buck walks out that they have a name for, and they've known them for 20 years or well, not 20 years, but you guys know what I mean? They know yeah. the year they know. And, and they're just, it's just not very dramatic and not very realistic, I guess, in a lot of ways. So it, it was, I think a lot of people attached onto that, that the whole concept of this day by day hunt 
you're showing the ups and downs and the pain and the miles you're going and the, and the bugling and all this stuff. And, and then finally somebody's successful in the group and, and it just, it makes sense. It's realistic. It's relatable. And so, I mean, kudos to you guys, man. I mean, that was, that was a killer freaking series. And I think I that's what, that. what, uh, why, why so many people are like just endeared to you guys. So Dirk, how did, how did you meet Trent? Oh man, uh, I met Trent the first strip time club. Ever, strip at a strip club, club. and uh, and male male strip in, club in <laughs> Coos Bay, Coos Bay, Oregon. Uh, Trent was working the pole. I was on center stage, and uh, <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, I need some money, uh, some help over here carrying all, carrying all this money." And so he was, you know, befriended me. But <laughs> oh, no, I think the first time I ever met Trent was at uh, Bogus Basin. There was a uh, Steve Speck put on a, a bow shoot up there and uh, met met Trent and Cody and the whole gang um, over there. And we sat around there one afternoon in a shady spot and said, yeah, we should go hunting someday. And that was must have been, I don't know, 2012, probably. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, uh, yeah, probably right in there. Probably right in there. And uh, and then but we didn't get to hunt together until. What was Land of the Free 1.0? What year was that? 2017? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, man, that's crazy. It took right? us a lot of years to get, to get together, was. but yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And I remember was. actually having meetings with you at Bogus Basin. Now that you actually say that, and I, yeah, man, that just escaped my memory. But yeah, and like sitting down and being like, what can we do? How how can this all work out? What how the, can help me help you? Help <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah help you you know what i mean right it's, people, it's just people helping people, it's people, people. <laughs> that's all it is it's pretty simple it's pretty straightforward now what I, I think simple. i think what what uh is super cool is you guys again i i already talked about like you guys just have this this thing between you you could tell that um you both outside of just being lovers or whatever um, it's called a bromance. That's a strong, a that's a strong word, and I love it. And uh, I love a bromance. It. No, I, you guys no, had dude, I, I, like the most famous yeah. scene ever, I think, on YouTube, where uh, you're painting each other's faces, and you got these <laughs> lines going back. And, Whoa! If this is if this is wrong, I don't want to be right. And quoting all these movies, and there was there was premeditated there was premeditated stuff in that which I did not have in my head. Okay, I'm just gonna be honest right now. No, so Dirk pointed it, it out, and you didn't. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I got oh, it no. good. I'll get. I guarantee you, and you can ask Dirk right now. And if he and if he says no, he's a liar. That he had that already schemed in his head for months. For oh, hundred percent. A hundred percent. I've I've been I've been waiting for that day for for years. It's just kind of like it was like prom night, nineteen eighty-seven. You know, I yeah. I, I knew what I was gonna do. Eighty-seven was a great year. That's pretty good. It's, no, uh, I think I, I honestly think it's when you when you come across somebody and you have those same clicks, right? You quote mm-hmm. the same movies, or you, yeah, whatever it may be, and you hit it off like that. I, I think it's I think it's a friendship that is never going to be broken, and I think it's it's one of those things where it's just like, man, this is someone who. 
I can hold deer. And uh, that's the way me and Dirk pretty much started out from that first hunt. And then it just, it unfortunately escalated from there. It did yeah. escalate. <laughs> and, and that's what's yeah. cool about the whole thing, man, is you, you guys are both, you guys both have these super likable personalities. And then you get, you get you out in the elk woods and you guys are like just killers, you know, and, and it's just, it's such a perfect combination. And I, I'm just, yeah, that's why I'm excited to get you guys both on, on uh, for school of September because we got a lot of listeners on this that um, they're going out for the first time or maybe they've been going out for several years and have yet to notch a tag uh, and and the point with the school of September is every great elk hunter has their own unique style and method and you know way they hunt elk and and what we're doing is is we're getting all these experts on the show and and everybody can kind of just listen in and pick and choose what works for them with their personality and their style of hunting and what they feel like would would be workable for them so anyway that's a long way of saying is uh the, the these each episode is like a tool that elk hunters can put in their their toolbox when they're going out in September and it's real specific to September and That's I awesome. want to hear I want to hear from both of you guys on this question uh Dirk why don't we start with you on this one um tell us what September elk hunting means to you and why it is such this this thing in your mind that uh draws you to the woods every every September um to me, uh, elk hunting in September, it's, it's life. Uh, it's, it's life in itself. Um, growing up in school, I was never good at anything. I wasn't like an A-plus student. I was not an athlete. My folks didn't even let me play sports. Um, and it was, it was my only outlet. And it, was only, it was like the only thing that I like that gave me hope every year to like – you know, to just keep on going, you know, some people hold all, all sorts of things that kind of, it's their motivation. It's their why. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ever from, from a, from the age I was 15 years old to now it, it's my why. Um, and, and to do what, to do what I do, you know, whether it's, you know, try to try to be a good husband or a good father or, or, you know, earn money or whatever it is that it's, it, it's my why, I guess. And, and, uh, that's, that's basically what it means to me. I, I never really wanted to do really anything else in life other than hunt elk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah well, some people have these lofty goals of making lots of money or, or becoming famous or whatever. And I've, I've never had any, any inkling for any of those. I just, I just wanted to hunt elk. That's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you're in good company because I, I I only cared about two things hunting and music and those were my that that was my life for the longest time so I know exactly what you're saying and and talking about the the why is you know it's lost on so many people and that's the nice thing about hunting is it actually gives you this legitimate why and and like a a defining identifier for for a guy or a gal. I, I'm super careful. I'm, I'm trying not to say just guys, you know, dudes or whatever. But for a Need guy or a gal, real, real careful there, buddy. Yeah, real dude, careful. I've, I've gotten some nasty emails and <laughs> Dirk identifies as a lot of things, and you need to be real yeah, careful. I know. I'm trying to not be super gender specific anytime I have the bugler on. Um, Trent, how about you, man? Oh man, you know, elk hunting started out for me as just this goal, right? You know, killing elk. And this was back in the wee infancy of elk hunting. And then it's progressed and it's actually morphed out into a whole bunch of different things. Like, 
um, right now I'm actually, I started out rifle hunting and I'm actually getting back into rifle hunting for elk. And, and so the whole, the September side and calling elk, there's going to be never anything like it. It's, it's one of those times, those magical times that it's just like, I, I always refer back, I guess, to like the first bugle of the season. And I always, and as I get older, which I'm an old man now, my son just got his permit. Wyatt just got his permit oh, uh, no. just the other day. Yeah. His driving crazy. permit? Yeah, his oh, driving geez. permit. Yeah, You're yeah, it's crazy. Holy cow. It's crazy. <laughs> but but <laughs> not to just off topic this thing, but um, but no, it's just looking, you know, you see that, you hear that first bugle of the season or something of that nature, and you look at each other, and it, to me, it's that look like, man, it's September, we're back out here again, and we're doing it, and it's going to be a grind. It's going to be, a, you know, it's, it's going to be it's going to be hard. It's sometimes not going to be fun. And, um, but that is, that is elk hunting to me. And, um, anyway, it's just, it's different on every trip. It's different with every person that you're with, but at the same time, it holds that special, special place. I got a question for both of you guys. I, I, cause I love that answer, but, um, with a lot of, with a lot of elk hunters, they they go out and they they give it hell and they they try they they do what they can and you know what is the success rate again like less than ten percent right for September probably I don't know yeah I, I think it's around around ten percent ten to twelve percent depending on what state you're in yeah 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 I think I think that's about what it is so like if you're uh, hunting Roosevelt's in Oregon it's somewhere around six point three somewhere there yeah yeah. It, and and that's wow. kind of it. It tells it kind of speaks to there's a lot of elk hunters out there, right? And so when you're when you're really boiling down to actually how many people are notching tags, what do you guys think is like a bigger hiccup? Is it the Doug Fluties out there, or is it the the elk hunter making mistakes himself? And there's a reason why I'm asking this. Dirk, I'll let you hit that one first. I feel like it's kind of like the wallflower effect. I feel like it's just like going to the dance, going to prom. Remember, don't want to ask the girl to dance and don't want to like just, you know, put yourself out there and try real hard. Just, you know, go it's nothing ventured, nothing gained, you know, to sit playing the safe, the safe play every time. I yeah. feel like there's a, a ton of people who play it safe year after year because they're like, oh, God, I finally heard an elk bugle. Oh, don't screw this up. And they kind of wait in the wings a little too long or they don't, they, they, they're afraid of like screwing it up. Um, so they kind of hold themselves back, you know, which I mean, I've, I've felt that way a lot too. Like, especially you see a big bull or you hear a big bull bugle. You're like, Oh God, you know, it's hard not to get that little feeling like don't screw this up, buddy. But I always have to revert back to, you can't win if you don't play or you can't win if you don't play. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I, so I just jump in with both feet and I, I always figure I'm going to, I'm either going to kill him or scare him real bad. So, <laughs> and, and I'm glad, okay. I'm really glad that you didn't blame Doug Flutie and <laughs> because you guys, I don't know if you guys know this, but Doug, Doug is a personal friend of mine. And is he really? Yeah. Yeah. He's a personal friend of mine. And he wanted me to ask if, if you blame unsuccessful seasons on Doug Flutie or not. And so I decided uh, to ask that question and kind of, you know, he again, he's my friend. I made a promise to him. And he also 
sent me a song that somebody wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He sent a song, <laughs> and and what he did is he sent it as he a can demo. write. Yeah, well, I don't know who wrote it. It was one of his one of his other friends, and guaranteed he can't write. No, I, I don't. I, yeah, write. I think he had. I, I think he had his cousin write or some something along those lines. But the point is, <laughs> he sent me the demo, and okay. he said, "I either want you to record it because he knows I'm a past, you know, musician that was trying to make it to the big time and failed miserably." Because I hit a skunk in my tour bus one time and it ruined the, it derailed my whole career path on the, in the music business. But the the point is, he told he chose me to record this song for him over Ted Nugent, and wow. he wants me to play it for you guys. You guys want to hear it? Oh, I'd love to. And then I want to I want to get your feedback after, and let's just go ahead and play it if you guys are good. Okay. Yeah, I've got time. Nephews, his brother, his grandpa's his mom. It gets real confusing when you're talking about his in-laws. Then one day he told me, and it started making sense. I'll never forget when he looked in my eye, and then he said, She don't feel like my sister when I kiss her. You don't feel like my sister when I kiss her. Oh, wow. I know, Lord, I don't feel this took a real turn. Took a real turn, dirt. <laughs> the Flutie family's really close. All right. <laughs> when I fall away, I think about the words that Flutie said. He can blow a flute. I think I've got the writing on the wall why his uh, contribution career didn't take off. Yeah, I'm starting to figure it out, too. I'm kind of starting to see that. Wow. I mean, what do you think? I don't know. What do you say? I mean, is this from Arkansas? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... So things are out of the bag with Foodie. I mean... It just happened. (laughs) It did do that. It did do that. Dirk, I promise you I'd have a Doug Flutie song for you here shortly. That that was impactful. I'll tell you right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm pretty happy with it, actually, because uh, to be honest with you, I haven't touched a guitar in months. And I pulled that bad boy out and kicked it off. Not too shabby, right? Yeah. I'm not too shabby at all. I can't believe the music career didn't take off from there. I can't believe it either. I'm shocked. I don't know why. Hey, I'm shocked. What does holding a note have to do with anything? <laughs> no, you sounded great. You sounded great. All right. We better get back to talking about elk hunting. <laughs> I want to talk about, oh, I, I was, I was joking around with that question, but 
if if we're getting serious in and kind of talking about the like the I don't know if you want to I hate the word nuances but some of the nuances of elk hunting and uh, some of the 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 biggest things you know everybody talks about what you need to do to be successful but not a lot of people talk about what you don't need to do so Trent can we start with you and and talk about like, what do you think it is in your mind? Because actually, Dirk made a really good explanation there as to what he thinks. And and people kind of not being, Dirk, would you say aggressive is the right word? Not being aggressive enough? or Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When they hear a bugle? Yeah, you bet. Okay. So, Trent, how about you? What What is your take on uh, why a lot of tags don't get notched? I think people have the, I think people are scared of failing. I think, and it kind of just keys on a little bit of what Dirk was saying. Like I have, you know, so many times that people, they, I think they think that we just, we just blow on that bugle and do that. And they just come running to us. And I don't think they know how many times that it just, you say something wrong to the herd or whatever may happen. And they just turn the other way and just run at a high aggressive rate and it's just like what the hell you know and i just don't think I, th- I think people see all these films and i think they hear all these podcasts and i think they 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 see you know they see what we've done and they see how that we've been successful in the past and they just think well what the hell happened great for them how, how are they always successful but i think a lot of times and this is what we try to show a lot is how many times we screwed up. So it teaches that guy, maybe don't do that. Maybe don't try to really edge that wind out and, or maybe don't try to come in on this angle or maybe try not to say this. There's just so many things, but every single elk is so much different. And it's just like, you can't, you you can't predict exactly what's going to happen. And um, I think people, they set themselves up maybe for failure before they even start. And I think that's a lot of it as far as mm. just be willing to fail because that's going to happen nine times out of 10. And it's just, it's the realistic thing. I mean, Dirk and I, I've hunted with him uh, a ton. We've hunted together a bunch and we have failed numerous times together. Yeah. We've killed bulls and everything and we've done all this stuff and everything, but at the same time we've screwed up more times by a long, by a far amount than been successful. How, how do you tell people to prepare to fail? Like, because I totally agree, Trent, with what you're talking about, but I, I think that that's sometimes hard in, I, I don't Dude, know. It's social, it's social media. I, it's I, that's what I was going to say. Like, you should be perfect I, in everything, media. right? Yeah, yeah. You should be perfect and, and in everything. And every bowl you, you be, shoot is like a 300 yeah. bowl and blah, Quartering blah, blah. away, yeah. 320, quartering away, perfect heart shot. It is not true. It yeah. is not true. Man, it is it's the realistic elk hunting side. It's the realistic thing, and that's the whole that's the whole thing that I people I think people get in their minds as far as well. I'm just gonna go get him out there, you know. Dirk, all he did he bugled twice on the film. The bull came running at him, and he shot it at 12 yards. That's a pretty easy game with with a with a with a mouth tab. He didn't even have to use his arm. He could actually rest his right arm <laughs> and he could shoot it with a mouth mouth tab. How and, hard could and, it be? Yeah, how hard could it be? <laughs> that's that's freaking easy. You know what I mean? And I think people sometimes see these things and just be like, oh man, anybody can do it. And then when you go out there and see how difficult it is to actually do that, 
I think people start making excuses and then it just goes down that bad road. I just think, you know, I, I love social media. Don't get me wrong. This is why I have my job. But at the same time, I think it also can be a huge crutch. Yeah, I think I think, man, you nailed it with that. because, And that's something we've been talking about on my show a little bit is, you know, one of the questions I always ask is, do you think social media has or has the potential to destroy hunting? You know what I mean? Like, think about that in, in, a, in a lot of different ways, because we, we talk about elk season and and we, we talk about what people what their motivation is to go hunting now. And sometimes I feel like there's people out there that the motivation behind why they're out there. Uh, using a bugle tube and trying to uh, trying to kill an elk is is because they want to have a cool picture to post on Instagram. You know what I mean? And and that bothers me. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, and I think you know it changes people's values um, and and changes their ideas of what hunting successful hunting is. It's mm-hmm. no different than the the pictures of the Instagram models, whether you're a man or a woman. I mean, if you if uh, Trent and I got on there. Uh, more and, and people start looking at our bodies you know they'd I appreciate like, that Dirk. I really they would be like they'd be like wow that's what a real man looks like and how can i ever measure up yeah i know um, seriously <laughs> but unobtainable unobtainable it's an un- 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 unobtainable beauty and uh it's the same with hunting i mean you, you only get it's all airbrushed on, with you guys i on, think right oh, it is no that's masculinity is what that is. Reeking, reeking that's how, with masculinity. That's how babies are made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. How babies are made. Yeah. But, hmm. uh, but, you know, you, on social, you always see the good side, you know, nobody really shows you, you know, they're, they're, they're bad shot or they, they long arm their photos or they don't want their buck to look smaller, their elk to look small. Um, and I think it's kind of a trap, you know, which I feel like, also, social media gives you such instant gratification. I, I want to see a picture of a big bull elk. You just swipe a little bit. Oh, there's one. Mm-hmm. Um, and elk hunting is the furthest from instant gratification uh, that there is. I mean, it's it's the people on on social or on YouTube or whatever. They don't they don't see um, maybe the hunts that we didn't record where um, you know years ago before we started filming or or whenever it was. You know, or they just don't feel or see the the, the grind of maybe going nine days without hearing an elk bugle. Yeah. And then finally and on then the, sh- on the ninth day you hear one and you maybe kill one, maybe you don't, they don't see that. So that staying power is not there. So I feel like after a day or two, they get disheartened. They get, they feel like, Oh man, this is, I'm not doing it right. Or this is never going to happen. I'm just going to go home. People give up. They got a lot of give up in them. Um, and then they go home instead of like seeing it through. And I don't know how many times I've, I've seen it through to the very end and, and have the very end, like the last little bit, it all come together. So um, I, yeah. I think folks need to, you know, really hunt for the love of the hunt, not for the, not for the likes or whatever. Not um, for the Insta fame. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Some, some asshole um, got on my Instagram the other day. I put a picture of me and Trent acting like idiots in our costumes <laughs> And uh, he's like, oh, man, I used to follow you because I thought I might learn something, but looks like you're just posting stuff for likes. And yeah, I, had good call. Of, I had to kind of clap back a little bit at him. It's like, dude, if you're on here thinking that, you you obviously haven't been following very long because I don't give a shit about the likes. Um, I just want to share my stuff. 
if there's people that like it, cool, good. If you don't like it, that's okay, cool, too. I, I, there's a lot of things I don't like, and I just don't follow it. Yeah. And not so, only that, Dirk, he obviously ain't learning much. <laughs> yeah, seriously, there, because there's there's a there's a side to that that what you're saying, and, and this is what this is what my feeling has been, especially with the whole social media thing. You know, I, when I'm when I'm elk hunting, yeah, I, I, absolutely, I want to notch a tag, right? And and we all want the biggest bull we could find. But yeah. I mean, for me, I'll shoot a damn spike. I don't care. Um, it, but getting back to what but you at just, the same time, you just rewind just a little bit. And I don't mean to interrupt, but at no, the same go ahead. time, a, a damn spike is a feat, man. It is. It is. You could, it is. If you could, I mean, if you could, if you could probably talk to your audience right now. And say, would you take a spike? I bet there would be a ton of hands raised. Yeah. Uh, If it wasn't on social media. No, I totally agree with you. But at the same time, it's just like a a spike or any elk, any tag notch with an archery equipment and rifle for that matter. But with any equipment is is a feat. It's a feat to be done. I totally agree. A hundred percent. It just needs to be acknowledged as far as, you know, it's just not like, and, and that's my biggest thing in this whole journey that we've done. It's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to take that 350 bull, which I've never killed anything over 300, to be honest with you. And to a three point Roosevelt that I worked my ass off for two weeks for, and they are the same trophy. It's the same trophy mm-hmm. kind of status. And so I just, I just, I, I, I see a lot of people saying, oh man, it's just a spike or it's just this, it's just that, you know what, to that guy that killed that animal, that could be the biggest trophy in his lifetime. And that's what social media has done. It's been to a point where it's just like, we don't go to your table and say, I killed this elk. That's amazing. No, we go on social media and say, yeah, you killed a spike. Wow. You killed a spike. Are you kidding me? Why would you shoot a spike? You know what I mean? And I think that's separating the whole hunting community. And I think that's an issue. It does. It creates, it creates these lines that people draw and they're like these battle lines that happen on social media. Right. And, and so somebody gets a spike. What, what, what people don't realize is the same amount of miles were put in as, as that 300 or or North of 300 inch bowl uh, with the exception of the high fence places. And yeah. the same amount yeah. of chafing, the same amount of dehydration, the same amount of pain and sore back and legs. And for me, it's knees. My knees are always like just a problem, you know, and all that stuff that goes into it. And then getting back to what you guys were referring to earlier, Dirk specifically talking about you guys dressing up in those costumes. And and one of the things that I think is lost because of social media is people going out and actually enjoying themselves while they're hunting. Hunting is supposed to be a thing that that feeds a, a person's soul. I almost said a man's soul, but Dirk's on here. Uh, it's supposed to uh, it's <laughs> supposed call. to be Good what call. what feeds a man's soul, and, and it's something that is is just it's been in the in the human mind and, and soul for for as long as existence has you know humans have been in existence. I'm getting so excited I can't talk. I'm tripping over my own words here, <laughs> and and. and that's what happens. Social because social media. That's why I think people are onrier out in the woods. Have you guys noticed that over like the last ten years, hunters are are onrier with each other than they were ten years ago. I remember back in like the '90s when you saw another hunter on the mountain, it was it was hey how how you doing? You seeing anything? Having a good conversation? You make a new friend. Where now it's like they're pissed off that they're you're even there. Like they own the mountain. 
and, and and everybody's so serious and and they don't get the full enjoyment out of what elk hunting is or any kind of hunting for that matter uh, because they they just go overboard not to say that you don't need to take elk hunting serious to be successful because you certainly do but have fun along the way am I off base no no, no. not at all not at all no and that's what we've kind of started doing as far as just like bringing extra calls with us. And there was a time like in Colorado two years ago, I think it was with me and Dirk. I think Dirk was there. We gave yeah. our bugle bugle tube to a guy and taught him a lesson, you know, kind of went through calling and stuff with him as we were out in the woods and kind of said, okay, this is what we're doing and everything. As we were in the woods and gave up a bugle tube and said, here, here you go. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully that helps you out and everything. And no, not at all. I mean, I totally agree with you. It, it, it has changed, but it's just, you know, I think it's how we all perceive it and how we go about it And the future is going to, you know, going to round it out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, we got kind of on a soapbox there. I apologize. That was my fault. Um, yeah. but that's a, that, like, I could do a whole podcast episode just on that topic because I'm, I'm pretty fired up about it right now, but, you should. Uh, yeah. you, you know, yeah. uh, anyways, getting back, one of the, one of my motivations to getting you guys on together was, um, I want to talk about the advantages and disadvantages of base camp hunting versus, um, back country hunting back country, meaning you're going in on your pack for multiple days. And that's how we'll define it for this episode, because there's a lot of different ways to define hunting in the backcountry, right? Uh, but for for this episode, we're going to call it, uh, if you're going in with a pack for multiple days, uh, we'll call that backcountry hunting. And, and then, like, what I mainly do is base camp hunting. Um, and I think that a lot of that has to do with what region of the West you're hunting. But... Uh, I kind of want to get like you guys, Trent, are like the gurus of this backcountry hunting thing, and and I think you you like shed a lot of light that helped people understand that it's not this big mountain to climb to get out there and do it. It's doable. Anybody can do it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And and yeah. so I I want to talk about that. Like for for you guys, what is it about backcountry hunting? And going in with everything on your back and, and going after elk, what is it that motivates you guys to do that? And what are the advantage of, advantages of it? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, it totally makes sense. Uh, we approached it from a degree of, you know, we thought if we came into, all we did is hunt Roosevelt, like I said, through our early years and everything. And so then we got into the Rocky Mountain hunting and we thought, well, if we go further than anybody else, it should be easier, right? It mm -hmm. should be less bulls that are called to all the time. It should be more responsive. It should be all of these things. And so we came at it from that, from, from, from that point of view. And man, since I've done it, <laughs> I've been privileged and blessed to do it for a number of years, uh, meeting Dirk and like, it was pretty cool. Like Dirk, we went on our first backcountry, your first backcountry hunt, I think. Yeah. Dirk's first one and it was like second nature to us but at the same time we both taught each other a boatload of things and um i, I don't know i'll just ping it off dirk here back and forth but at the yeah. same time it's just like we i mean we learned both that guess what sometimes you don't need to do that and sometimes <laughs> you do so it's it's, it's well, one of those things can i where, stop you right go, there trent please what? do 
If you're anything like me, hunting is a year-round thing for you, and we're always thinking about how to make our next upcoming season a little bit better, and one way to do that is with gear. And you guys know I'm not a big gear junkie, but I do have some important gear items that I'm always a huge fan of, and they're right here available on this show. Let's talk about Scree gear. Scree is my go-to camo. Scree is high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and all backed by a great company, and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't truly believe in the Scree product. They've got a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions, gear designed to adapt to the weather, it's rugged gear, it's got a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing and exchange program, you can't go wrong with Scree. Get the best out there without breaking the bank, and to make it even better, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hell of a deal. Check it out at ScreeGear.com. Next on the list is my oldest and fondest sponsor of the show is Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about companies like Phelps Game Calls is the American success story that came out of it. And Phelps started in Jason Phelps' garage years ago, and it's now one of the premier hunting call companies on the market. And I wouldn't point you in that direction if I didn't feel like they were the best calls available. Jump on PhelpsGameCalls.com. When you find a call you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. I promise you, you will not regret it. Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots is a go-to boot company I've been using for years and years and years. And the cool thing about it is I'm only on my second pair of Hoffman Explorers. I put lots of miles on my Hoffman Explorers. They're a great boot. They're not going to cost you a small fortune to get. And they have all the same guarantees and warranties that every other company out there has. If you want to be confident, guys, do not skimp on boots. Go to HoffmanBoots.com get you a pair of, for for me I like the 8 inch Explorers but they also have the 6 inch, they have all sorts of different options, check it out at hoppinboots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10 all caps lock for 10% off and last but not least is Tacticam are you interested in filming your hunt and are you interested in helping with conservation efforts throughout the uh, North American continent well, then I got a deal for you. Tacticam is a point-of-view type kind of camera that records in 4G. They also have other products like the Film Through Scope, the FTS, and you attach that to your rifle scope and you can film your shot right there. And they have the mounts for your shoulder, for your head. They get, You can mount it to your bow. You can mount it to wherever and whatever you want. Lots of versatility with the Tacticam. Other products include, but are not limited to, the fisheye camera. The Tacticam Spotter LR is definitely worth a look if you want to film what you're seeing through your glass while you're actively hunting and get it on camera. It's a great thing. But I think that the thing that I'm most excited about with Tacticam this year is the new Reveal uh, cell cam that is coming out. This kind of this trail camera <clears throat> will send you images in real time as they're coming in. They've got like an enhanced antenna for better service. If you're like managing property or something like that, or you've got a bear bait set up somewhere that you have phone service, you can get those pictures right there to your phone. This uh, cell cam is super, super cool. I'm really excited about it. And you can get all this at the westernhuntsman.com forward slash gear. Go to the gear shop. You'll find all the Tacticam stuff right there. Uh, best pricing out there on it. And uh, what happens is we split the uh, profitable revenue from these sales 
of the Tactican gear. And half of it goes to conservation efforts, uh, which vary depending on what quarter of the year it is. Right now we're raising money and trying to get some money over to Sportsman's Alliance. It's a great cause, and that is what's going to go down when you shop for Tacticam gear at thewesternhuntsman.com. So go over there and check it out and get you a camera. Guys, let's get back into it. I sure appreciate it. When you say that, sometimes you need to do that and sometimes you don't. In your mind, what is that differentiating differentiating thing? That's a big word for me. Like, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna go into the back country, or we're gonna base camp. Kind of what makes that decision for you? Can you explain that? Yeah. So, so I'll talk about like our some of our early hunts, like Colorado over the counter. We went, you know, we were base camp somewhere around six miles, somewhere in, you know, and. Um, Anyway, you're, you are married to that spot. You are in there and that's where you're hunting. Mm -hmm. And then when you kill something, luckily we hunt with a crew that's as big as we have, you know, with four people plus, and we all grab, you know, grab a hunk of meat and we take it out and come back in. And then you're hiking back in. And I learned a lot from Dirk's point of view is with, you know what? We're mobile and we kill something. Usually they're hunting somewhere within three to five miles within camp. And so, so, so the biggest part is if you don't kill something, they're coming all the way out, right? They're hiking all the way out and then they're sleeping at the truck or wherever, and then hiking back in the next day if they want to go to that same location. And so they're expending calories and, and, and miles and time going back in we are already in there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it all depends on where the elk are and how far you need to go to get them. And, um, I've learned a lot. So a lot of our videos in our early stuff, you're going to see us going seven to nine miles. My longest pack was, uh, Ty killed a bull at 12 and a half miles in and pack that thing all the way out. Ooh, I bet and, that was um, fun. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was 20 inches of snow at 10,500 feet in Colorado. It was, it was a super fun. My feet, my feet still hurt from that pack out. And then I talked to Derek and he's like, no, we killed it a mile and a half on the road. I'm like, what'd you, what'd you do? Excuse me? What'd you do? <laughs> yeah. So I have honestly adopted new ways of hunting in the last little while where it's like, you don't, and I think Dirk can really elaborate on this. You don't yeah. have to go that far. I, I think, and we're going back to this social media thing, I think, again, as far as this, you, if you're not a backcountry hunter, you're not really hunting. You know, you're right. not hunting. Yeah. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it. Right, I've heard that. You know? Yeah. I've and if you're not, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's just like, well, why don't we just hunt a mile and a half from the pickup? and then kill stuff and then kill more stuff after that. And that sounds pretty cool. So I, I, I'll, I'll hand it over to Dirk, but yeah, we've Dirk. done a lot of stuff for a long time. And it's, uh, yeah, go ahead, Dirk. Yeah, you take yeah, it, Dirk. So um, I think, you know, and it's the allure to, to put on a backpack and going deep. And that's sexy as hell, man. I mean, it, it, oh, it's I appreciate, sure. I appreciate that. Appreciate I mean, that. You, you make that pack look good. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of romance in that kind of hunting. And 
uh, people kind of get hung up on that, especially a lot of new hunters. And I'm just going to say it like backpack hunting, uh, eight to 10 miles away from your truck in the wilderness, that's level 10, that's level 10 on, on hardness. Right. Yes. Um, and especially for new folks. Um, and I know, you know, well, that's the experience I want they'll say, but, but damn it, sometimes you have to, you have to crawl before you walk a little bit, get some reps in on the easier type hunts, maybe towards that front country a little bit, maybe a little, not, not so far in. I mean, people, people think you have to go super deep to kill elk consistently, but, um, I'm living proof that, that that's not the case. I mean, most of my elk have come within a half mile of the pickup. Um, so I feel like, you know, th- there's that buffer zone, that one to two miles from the truck that hold a lot of elk. And then people kind of go deep and then they go through some stuff and they get back deep. And then, uh, if you're looking at Colorado, for instance, those wildernesses are not that big. I mean, you hike too much further than 10 miles, 12 miles, you're going to come out on another, another road somewhere. Um, because I've done that. And that's how how North Idaho is. I mean, you, you, uh, there, people are like, oh, well, are you going to go back country hunting? Well, you know, I've, I've done that and, and I'm not opposed to back country hunting, but I mean, there are so many logging roads and, and intersecting dirt roads and forest service roads and all these things. You can't go that far in my area. You can't, you cannot go 10 miles. Well, I'm going to say that and somebody's going to send me a pin. Oh Yeah. Well, go here. I know yeah. there's there's units that have some areas that it makes sense, right? In in the northern panhandle of Idaho, but I mean, uh, when I used well, to hunt Utah, that it was totally different. You you can go for miles and miles and miles and and not run into a soul or a road. So or a, or an elk or an elk. Yeah, yeah. No, very true. <laughs> and very that, true. That's my biggest hang up with with a lot of the backpack hunting is is you expend a lot of energy to get deep but to get you know away from the road in some roadless country only to find that well doug flutian family been there and blew the place up the week before or it's if you're in the states that have wolves the wolves have, have uh, got the elk clammed up or pushed them out there's other so, things though too like like in utah utah's a super dry state so if you go 10 miles back and figure out that there's no water source back there you're done. You're done. You're, oh, yeah. you're you're going on a scenic walk. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's nothing alive back there. Yeah, that's New Mexico too. Yeah, you know, we had to hunt hunt close to the to the man made uh, tanks, water tanks, right? Because mm-hmm. oh, well, we'll just go deep. We'll go ahead, but the further deep you go, there's no water. Um, and, and there may be some little tiny spring that nobody knows about, but hidden way back in the mountains. But most of those elk are going to they're going to hold closer to the to the water in those kind of places. So, um, you know, you don't always have to get that deep. And I feel like people get that romantic idea kind of goes back to what we said before. They get this idea of what it what the elk hunt is going to look like. They walk in there eight miles and don't hear a damn bugle one. And then they, they're, they totally deflating, you know, they work their ass off to get there. Um, they get there. Now they're tired. Haven't heard any elk and there's no uh, that there's no sign and that's super deflating. And, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't even blame them. A lot of them just kind of hunt around there a little bit and then pack up and get head home because, yeah. you know, it was a bad experience. So I always like to kind of be able to be mo- mobile, you know, with the, with the ability to go deep. That is, I'm going to hunt in lots of different areas until I can find elk. And it's like, oh, there's a lot of elk in there. Cool. Well, now I can 
take my backpack in there and stay for a few days because I know there's elk there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you guys, you guys both nailed it because there is some nostalgic, uh, there's that nostalgic side to, to backpack hunting. Yeah. You know, and I, I recommend oh, yeah. people ask me about it a lot and I, I do recommend you, you got to try it. You got to just do it, uh, you know, successful or not. There's, there's something, you know, I hate to sound cheesy, but there's something magical about hiking in several miles with nothing but what's on your back and, and staying a few nights and, and, and whatnot. But, um, I, I think that there's there's a lot to be said for that, and but there's also a lot to be said for, um, you know, base camp and and being mobile and knowing that you have plan A to Z in place, and so that leads me to the next question for you guys, which is what we're going to talk about. So whether you're base camped or whether you're in the backcountry camped, when you get either out of your truck or you pack up the tent in the morning, can you guys? Uh, and, and Trent, you, let's, let's kick it off with you. Yeah. First thing, um, and, and I don't want to talk about like the cat road shuffle yet, because I, I, I want to nail, I, I want to talk about that here in a few minutes, but when, <laughs> when you're, when you're getting out and, and you're going out first thing in the morning, kind of walk us through your process to locate elk. To locate elk. Uh, where are we at? Like back country or are we home turf? Where are we talking? Do, so, so let's talk about Rocky, Rocky elk. Uh, Rocky Mountain elk. Um, okay. Because I think it's okay. going to be super different in Oregon, right? Like on those coastal Roosevelts. I've never hunted them, so yeah. I can't speak to it. Yeah, it's a little different. It's it's a smaller zone. It's a more confined. So yeah. So yeah. Let's say Getting we're in, let's say we're in Wyoming because you guys have both hunted Wyoming. So we'll we'll talk about Wyoming and pick on them for a minute because I always pick on Idaho. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So no, we're getting out and you mentioned cat road shuffle, so it can't really, you know, you already got my mind spaced on that a little bit, but we do the, I mean, and I think Dirk can attest to this. We do the same damn thing every single time. We're going to locate, we're going to locate, we're going to locate, we're going to locate, we're going to locate. And when you say locate, you're saying locate bugles, right? Correct. Yeah. We're just going to try to find a biter. So, and we hunt different and I think Dirk can attest to this too. I think we hunt different than like, uh, like a Cameron Haynes or somebody that doesn't call that just, that just tries to find a bugling group of bulls or something and sneak in on them. Sure. We get off on hunting a bull that wants to call and whether it be a, uh, a 350 inch six by six or way, whether it be a three by four Roosevelt that just thinks he's the king of the mountain, we are going to get, we are, we are going to key on whatever he has to say. So we're going to go in and we're just going to honestly bugle our brains out. I mean, and when we say we bugle 200 times a day, it's not a joke. I mean, people think, yeah, what, what the hell are you guys doing? Um, that's not a joke. That's what we do. That's what we do. So we Trent, are looking for someone wants wants to play the game. So we we're, we're kind of dancing all around it here. This let's talk about this cat road shuffle real quick. Then um, can you explain what the cat road shuffle is? And you guys have called it the playbook and and all these different things on on your uh, channel. Uh, and it's it's proven to be pretty effective. Can you kind of walk the audience through that? Yeah, and I think Dirk does the same thing. I yeah. mean, it's, 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 it's the same exact thing. It's going and calling every, every 50 yards, honestly. So where I'm at, like on, 
uh, the Western coast and everything and, and the Roosevelt woods, it's, there's so much broken up country, uh, ridges and draws and, and, and there's so much broken up country that you're, you're, you're all, all you're, all you have is sound. That's all you have is where your sounds reach. And so it's bugling to all those different ridges. So yeah, we go 50 yards, we bugle three to four times. We do different sets of bugles. So the cat road shuffle starts out with a high pitch or whatever you want as far as bugle. And then you go into, okay, a bugle and a chuckle and then, okay. And you wait. And then you go into another sequence of whatever the calls may bring. And I think Dirk can attest to the same thing. It's like every bull wants to hear a certain sound and will bugle back to a certain sound. So it could be a uh, high scream. It could be uh, just a chuckle. It could be uh, some certain nuance of, of a bull's, you know, repertoire, if you will. And they will bugle back. All we're looking for is a response. And then after we get that response, then it everything's, you know, goes into motion. Where's he at? What's he looking like as far as benches? What's he looking like for topography? What's the wind looking like? And then we just, you know, we judge it from there going through the whole, through the whole sequence of motions. But that's the cat road shuffle. Like this is, we go down cat roads just because that's the easiest way to get into all these draws and canyons and uh, small, you know, uh, holes and everything. And that's, that's why we call it the cat road shuffle is because, yeah, Dirk's Dirk and the, you know, he's doing the same thing in the Rocky mountain woods that we're doing, but we're just doing it more often. Okay. So the, uh, the one clarifying question with that one, Trent is when you're, when you're saying, you know, every 50, hundred yards or whatever you're calling, when you stop and call, are are you are you letting out like one bugle, two bugles, cow calls? Kind of what what is the the? Like I said, like I said, we're starting out with a whole sequence. So we'll start with a bugle. No response. Okay, let's start with a bugle and a chuckle. All right, no response. Let's start with a bunch of cow calls. So as we're working down a cat road, we will be cow calling pretty much, not all the time, but a lot of the time that actually has enough brush around us that it's not that we're just, you know, we can move around it to where it's not, you know, it's, it's not obscuring the sound that we can hear. So we'll yeah. call as we go down that cat road. And sometimes just a cow call, the certain cow call will get that bull to bugle and a Roosevelt bull. And if you can get him to bugle, if you can get him to sound off, I mean, there's a good chance that you can get on him. So it's one of those things where it's just like, all we're trying to do is get him to sound off. And so we'll do everything. We will do a, a long bugle. We'll do a high pitch bugle. We'll do a chuckle. We'll do a, all sorts of different uh, cow calls. We'll do all sorts of different sounds. If we can get him to sound off and then he gives away his location, then we can actually pinpoint him and then look at where we can get to, to get in and get him. Gotcha. Gotcha. Dirk, how, does, is there anything that differs in your hunting style? It's very similar. Um, and I, I call a lot as well. And I kind of say, I'm, I'm calling, I'm, I don't, and I don't think Trent does this either, but we're, we're kind of calling with purpose, right? Yeah. I think, um, you know, we're just not indiscriminately walking along calling, you know, but you're like, you're looking at topographical features, um, draws, ridges, 
um, places where, you know, how far is my bugle permeating, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, is it, is it penetrating? Is it going to go up on that ridge? Is it going to go down to that draw? You know, I may, I may, I may bugle and walk 50 yards bugle again, just because the terrain and the topography is opened up where it's like, Oh, there's a little nook down there. I, I didn't, I didn't bugle into as good. And which is crazy because I've had it. I don't know how many times I've seen it a hundred times, Trent. That, seen it a thousand times, a thousand times. That, that, that you couldn't, you can't hear a bull bugle unless you're standing in the right spot. If you walk Correct. 50 yards away, you can't hear them. So people, there, there's this big misconception out there that people say, Oh, don't you call way too much. Um, and there's a couple different schools of, on, on this whole calling thing. There's the guys that are like, Oh, don't you, you be called very sparingly. And then there's the guys like us that call a lot. And, uh, the problem is, is the guys that, that call sparingly and don't call hardly at all. I mean, I know guys that'll get out of their truck, they'll strap on their pack. They'll start walking They'll walk for an hour, let out a couple calls. They don't, they don't hear nothing. They walk right back to the truck. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's, I know that's who, I legit. Know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> I know guys I, like I, that too. I, I mean, there's, there's legitimate people that do them that they say, you know, that's the way they were taught or, or that's how grandpappy did it or, or, or whatever, you know, call sparingly. But uh, me, on the other hand, I, I'm calling from the time I leave my truck. I've had bulls answer me as soon as I close my door and <laughs> calling a bull super close to the truck. I've had them, you know, not hear nothing for three miles. But you don't know unless you're sending it. You're sending those bugles out there. It's kind of like fishing. When you go fishing, you don't just 100%. cast your line in there once and reel it in like, well, there's no fish here. No, you cast behind every rock, right? There's little all these little rocks in the stream. You cast behind every one because guess what? That's where the, the fish are going to hang out. Well, you're going to cast into these little draws with your bugles and up on these ridge lines and all these different places because that's where the elk live. And they may not be able to hear you, especially like in Trent's country. It's so damn thick and uh, in that country, your bugles just don't penetrate. So you have to call a lot. And I think that's where people kind of go wrong on Roosevelt's. I don't know a damn thing about it. But just common sense to me says you got to call a lot if in that kind of country because your bugles don't penetrate. And if you want, you know, you may walk right by an elk and they'd never heard you if you weren't calling. Mm-hmm. But I just want to interrupt just just a hair. Um, and yeah, no, Dirk, you're going to know Roosevelt's here shortly at some point because you're <laughs> going to shoot one. I better. Point. I better. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> right, but right, at the down, same yeah. time is, is, you know, we, we related it to kind of a fishing point of view, but at the same time as we are, think about going down a river, right? And each hole has fish in it, but there's certain fish that are hungry, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be, they're, they're going to be your biters. And so we're going to go through a whole Canyon on this cat road shuffle that we talked about. We're going to go through a whole draw or a whole Canyon or a whole Ridge system and we're going to bugle and we're going to just, you know, we're going to make ourselves known the whole way. And we're looking for a biter. We're not looking for that trout or whatever you want to call it in the fishing aspect that just doesn't want to bite, that doesn't want to play the game. We are looking for a biter. We're looking for the bull that wants to play the game and that's in the right mood. So we may pass by and not knowingly, honestly, you know, I don't know, half a dozen, maybe who knows how many elk that you pass by that hears that bugle that doesn't want to respond, but we are looking for that bull or that fish, if you will, 
is that wants to be the buyer that wants to play the game. Yeah. And, and I, the, that leads me to one question with that, because you know how you'll be going along and, and you're, you're bugling here and there. And you know how you get these different types of responses from different types of bulls, like they have different personalities or whatever. Um, 100%. What, what do you guys do? And I've been asking everybody this because I, I had this, uh, this happened to me a lot last year where it hasn't happened as much in years past, but you know, that just super, super lazy moan you get back that, you know, and, and it's like, they're not even trying, you know, they did not bring their a game. They're just kind of moaning at you. And, and then you get the ones that are like super feisty and way fired up when, when you just, you know, drop a little locate bugle and, and, and like, they're kind of ripping mad already. You know what I mean? And then you have the in-betweens. My question to you guys is, uh, and, and again, this is strictly kind of a selfish question because I, I got this a lot and I couldn't figure out how to, you know, change what I was doing to, to get any more than this. But that Moni Bowl, what are you guys doing when you hear that? Well, Dirk, go ahead. Well, what I do is, you know, back in the old days, I used to try to, to go at them just like I wanted every other elk. Uh-huh. I would, oh, he Moni bugled me a couple times. Cool. So I beat feet up there and almost and try to almost step on him and try to, you know, and then get super close and then start bugling at him and try to get him wound up, you know, as I would in a, in a like if a bull was wound up, you know, let's say a bull that was wound up. Um, I would, I didn't differentiate, differentiate between the two. Nowadays I've kind of changed my tactics now that I'm older and wiser. Um, I slow play those things. So walk us through that Dirk. So that money old bull, I'm like, okay, well, I'll wait a little bit and then I'll kind of do a moany old bugle. And and this may take two hours of this back and forth, back and forth moany bugles, you know. He sits over there, you know, yeah. he's probably in his bed. Yep. But I found that if he'll answer me, which a lot of them will, um, and if I'm just doing that same kind of moany bugle, after a while, after about an hour of screwing with that thing, they get kind of pissed off. They're like, hey, you shut up over there. And you'll hear it in their voice. And their voice will be, their, their bugle will change. Yeah, their bugle will change into a normal, like, full bugle. And whenever he does that, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I got it now. So are you because, moving? Are you moving when you're responding? Or are you just staying in the same spot and just kind of moaning back every few minutes? I'm, I'm get, I get to a spot that's, you know. Good for me. Good for me to shoot. Good for me to, for my scent. Good for everything. But I'm not like pushing up on him hard. No, I'm just, I'm giving him his space. I'm letting him get worked up. I want him to get pissed off and lose his cool before he ever knows what happened. You know, I want him to, to, to make that big mistake of getting mad and getting blind rage to where he finally just comes over there to fight. But by then it's too late. You know, he's, he commits and he'll come in, but, um, you know, it may take, I, I've, I've done it. It's taken like little, this one bull. I, I did it for two hours. He was across this big Canyon and I just, I had nothing else going on. And I was in pretty deep to where if I'd hiked back out to the truck and I wasn't, it was kind of late in the day. Well, it's two o'clock, but it'd have been hard to find another elk before it got dark. So sure. I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'm just going to play with this bull for a while and, and just see if I can get him wound up or, Maybe some of those others that aren't biters, maybe they'll kind of turn on. So he 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 bugled back and forth for a couple hours, and then all of a sudden his bugle changed. It's like okay, he got out of bed and he bugled like 
he's mad, a little bit mad. So I escalated my bugle to match his a little bit. And uh, pretty soon his his bugle escalated a little bit more. He got to sound a little madder, and I gave him another one about the same. I didn't want to I didn't want to overdo it. I didn't want to just rip his head off with a big nasty eagle. I was just trying sure. to match him. And before he knew it, he was on his way. And okay. he crossed the canyon and come up, and I shot him. Huh. And and so you didn't. Again, I I know it's kind of getting repetitive, but you didn't move from that spot. You just you just stayed there and waited for him to come in. And once he got pissed yeah. off, did you start moving at that point, or? Uh, I moved around to make sure I was had everything to my advantage. You know, as far as shooting lanes, wind, and stuff. Um, but another another way you can do that that same thing, especially if you have another person with you, is one guy do the talking, keep that thing talking, and your partner. He goes on the sneak. He starts sneaking in on that thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That uh, Actually, that – well, you, you've kind of triggered a couple of questions here. Not that I'm triggered, but um, <laughs> you guys – when you're, when you're talking about uh, – how do I ask that? That's not the right way. A lot of the discussions for this School of September series – have been centered around people's opinions and, and people get really strong opinions. And, and I don't think there's any necessity to have a strong opinion on this, but because um, both ways work, right? But the whole discussion of, are you, are you trying to be a lover or a fighter? And I kind of already know the answer with you guys. Well, it's not kind of, I know the answer with you guys, but there's a lot of successful elk hunters that are more that lover kind of cow call them in kind of thing. Uh, can you guys talk about that for a minute? Go ahead, Trent. <laughs> uh here's the deal i'm a lover uh <laughs> no uh the way i i think uh, you know i think you pin pegged it as far as like dirk and i we're coming in for a fight we're coming in for a fight and if you we talked about the cat road shuffle a bunch and everything and that's just trying to locate that's all we're trying to do is locate and i i think we uh Dirk and probably my team as well. We are a super aggressive, very yeah. aggressive to where we go about calling. We are looking for a biter. We're looking for the one that wants to play the game that we want to play. And we're going to go in there and there is a good chance if we can find that bull in that mood, there's a high, high percentage chance we're going to shoot him. Right. Dirk made a great point just a little bit ago, as far as we've had a new term that we call slow playing. And that's what he was referring to is like, sometimes you have to sit a bull out and just kind of just sit there and just let him do his thing in his bed. And you'll hear a a labored chuckle or a labored bugle like you were talking about and everything. And then we're going to slow play that bull. We're going to sit back and we're just going to just find out what pushes that bull's buttons. And um, I don't think I answered a a question at all that you asked. No, 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 you did. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's just one of those things where we're, we are going to actually just key everything off of what we hear and just try to push that bull's buttons and to get him to do exactly, to just get wound up. All we want is him to get wound up and just to let down a little bit of his guard. So slow play, slow play uh, meaning like, okay, you're going you're gonna to sit over there, maybe, maybe throw some chuckles out, a couple of bugles, and maybe some cow calls. Are you doing like this? I'm a cow and I'm in heat. Oh my God, you've got to come see me. 
Well, no, we've already got him to bugle. So we're sitting way, way back, and we got that labored bugle that you were talking about, right? Uh-huh. So yep, yep. we heard we heard him just, you know, just kind of let out something small, and mm-hmm. we're like, okay, there's a bull there, guaranteed. That's an elk. Okay, all right, let's see, let's sit back. Okay, so and we always talk about. Um, we do anyway, as far as we kill most of our bulls from 11 till two o'clock in the middle of the day. And oh, that's really? you, if, you, you've got that too, huh? Yes. And that's if you're on the herd though, that's if you're on the herd and his cows go to bed, he feels comfortable with where they are. And then he's going to come at you and he's going to actually give you uh give you a visual. And then that's where we kill him. But if not, if he's going to lay in his bed and he's just going to just kind of just project back to you these chuckles or these just low moans or something like that. Okay. I know where he's at. I know where he's doing. I know he's going to get up somewhere around, you know, six o'clock, wherever, five o'clock in the afternoon. I need to get my wind right. I need to do that. But at the same time, I, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what to say to him to get him to come check me out. And so just knowing where the bull's at is half the battle. And then after that, getting him wound up to getting him to come into you is, is the next big front that you have to worry about. Okay. It's, it's kind of like a, an experiment, right? We experiment to see what the elk like. So yeah. whatever, whatever he's responding to, we're going to keep feeding that stuff to him. Right. Um, but in my, my mode of operation, as far as lovers and fighters and stuff, you know, some guys there, they, they hit the cow call hard and more than anything. Um, but I, I feel like I'll, I want to appeal to his um, will to breed. But, but most importantly, I want to appeal to his uh, emotions to where he gets so pissed off that he'll let his guard down and come in to fight. Uh, I feel like that's a much stronger emotion than to breed a lot of times mm. because a lot of bulls, they got, they got more than one cow over there. So you're, you squawking on a cow call a whole bunch. He's got 15 of them in there. Why would he want to come over there yeah. for one more? That's right? always been something I've, I've thought about because I, like you guys, I've always had better success at calling in elk by pissing them off. Right. But I have friends that are super, a lot more successful than I am that, that tag out every year that cow call them in. They don't even touch it. Some of them don't even use a bugle. It's right. crazy. They're, li- they're, li- they're liars. They're liars. <laughs> well, sometimes that's how I feel. Like, how do you even do that? that no, they don't like elk hunting at all, and they just yeah, they don't like the <laughs> the heat of the chase. They just like killing something. The only time that's ever and I, Dirk, I think I told you this story, but last year I I was just kind of messing around cow calling, and I I wasn't getting any response, and I'm standing there, and I'm I'm like, oh man, I have phone service, so I'm texting my wife. I'm on top of this mountain texting my wife, and, and I hear a, a twig break. I turn around, and it, the one and only time in my entire life that I've seen a bull elk with a drop tine is standing 25 yards from me staring at me, and I blew it, and he busted out. That's the only time I've ever had an elk come in, and I was barely even trying, on a cow call. Right, right. Well, that's what you'll find typically is – not always typically, but sometimes bulls will bugle their head off, come into a cow call, and sometimes they won't. Um, but I haven't had a lot of luck with it because a lot of times they'll, they'll only come so far, so far, and then mm-hmm. they want you to come the rest of the way. They're like, okay, I'm here. I am come over here. Or 
it, maybe it's a young bull or just a quiet bull and they'll sneak in on you and they're very cautious. They come in, you know, pins and needles, they're looking, they're sniffing, you know, you may never even see it because you might come in and wind arc you and, and get your wind. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the, like when you appeal to, to their, to, to their emotion to fight, then a lot of times they'll come straight into you. They don't do no wind arcs. They get so mad. They're going to come straight in and I want to give them a reason to fight. So I do, I do a fair amount of cow calling in my bugling scenario, depending on how he reacts. If he bugles in my cow calls, then every time he bugles in my cow calls, I'll cut him off with a big nasty bugle. But if he doesn't cow, if he doesn't answer my cow calls much, I'll kind of just throw a few out here and there just so he knows that if he comes over and fights me, then there's a, there's, there's good reason. He's going to take some cows home with him. Yeah. So um, I try to kind of, kind of go with that, but I mean, like, like I say, you know, there's probably guys that have k- kill elk with hoochie mamas every year. I mean, who, who's to say they I don't? really appreciate, I really appreciate that, Dirk. So, sorry, <laughs> I <appreciate> that. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, what's wrong with a hoochie mama? Stranger things have happened, right? But <laughs> to, um, a lot of these guys that say, oh, all you got to do is cow call, cow call them in. I, my first question is how many elk you killed in the last 10 years? Okay. And where was it? You know, was it, you know, public land? Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of questions to that, but I feel like, you know, there's one more than one way to skin a cat for sure. So I'm not going to dis- discount it a hundred percent, but, um, yeah. for me, what works is kind of that, that game I play, you know, I've kind of tried a lot of the different things and over the years and I just kind of keep the ones in my, in my bag that, that keep consistently work. Well, I always look at it like you know you were talking about you want to you want to appeal to their their need to breed, right? But the need to breed is all all going to tie into protecting the cows that he knows are there, and so fighting is part of that need to breed. And and so I don't know. That's just I'm just a simple dude, so I I think about things, right. and I'm I'm no I'm no animal behavioralist, but uh, I just know that I can piss them off, and so that's that's always been my thing. Uh, yeah. with what, one thing that I, I keep having to kind of back up a little bit, but I, I want to clarify or not clarify, but I want to ask you guys both about what your opinion is. I don't know if I want to put it in terms of like success rate or just a preference thing about the, and, and I get this question a lot, hunting solo or hunting with a partner for, for September elk. Can Trent, you want to take that first? Yeah, that's not even a question. Hunt with a team, bottom line. So what? Uh, just, just because, I mean, as far as if you can get a team that knows a little bit about calling and then sound like a herd. And so I, obviously we're filming every single thing that we do. So we usually hunt in teams of usually at least four. And so we've got a shooter, we have a cameraman, and then we have a caller and possibly two callers if we can but then a cameraman that's filming the caller so we we try to hunt in big teams and it it makes us more successful and that's just around the board as far as that goes you feel like for for you you've been more successful because of having a team behind you 100 percent. when we hunt in a team and when when we have like a goal that we already have established like okay we're gonna go in we got a bull bugling everybody does their role in the whole thing i mean herds of elk are big you know you got to figure you know you are you are just we're breaking sticks we are i mean we are jumping on 
I mean, I just remember when Dirk called that uh, bull for me and landed the free 1.0. I mean, he he came out of that. He came out of that scenario with bruised bleeding. He was bleeding from both legs. He <laughs> fell down in a giant patch of sticks. I mean, he was he was acting like a whole herd of elk himself. Man, and you're that's what convinced kicking Dirk's ass when you take him with you, man. What's going on? With I that? try to as much as possible. I try to as much as possible. <laughs> Dirk, it's not safe time, anymore, dude. It's not. No, it's not a safe place. It's not a safe place. But I mean, he came out of there and he called that bull into what? I don't know, 14, 17 yards or something like yeah. that. But, yeah. but I mean, it was just like what he does. He was, he was mimicking a whole herd of elk. Elk are not small. They're giant animals. And so if you're going to mimic what they are doing and you have to bring the heat, it's not this petite, it's not tippy-toeing, it's not any of that. It's it's bringing it. Hmm. Dirk, what say you, man? Yeah, I, I really, I feel like I'm the most deadly if I'm by myself. And so I don't, I, go ahead. Go and ahead. I, and I feel like, um, it's this weird mindset I get into where, okay, I got nobody. I don't have to be like, Hey, you want to go over here? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't have to have that conversation. I just kind of, I do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And re, you know, wrong, wrong, right or indifferent than the, the, all the, all the, all the decisions that are made are on me. So I feel like I'm a little more confident by making those decisions by myself. And, uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like I feel really good about hunting by myself. Um, but I will say hunting with a team or other people that are very in tune to you and your hunting style, then, um, that's, that's pretty deadly too. Like Trent was yeah. saying, I mean, if, if you guys all know the same goal and you know, to make the moves to, to make it all the right times, then, uh, yeah, that's really deadly too. So, yeah, that's always a, it's always a good topic. I, I like. I feel like we could do a, an entire podcast episode just on this topic because, um, Dirk, I'm with you. In, in terms of hunting solo, for me, I feel like I just – I don't know if it's – again, I don't know if it's a preference thing or if there's just something about I, – I just – let me put it to you this way. I've called a lot more elk into bow range by myself than I ever have with somebody with me. And, right. And, and I, I like – the feeling of being out there by myself and it's like i it's me against the wild however i do get lonely sometimes i'm not an anti-social guy that's not why i hunt souls i mean come on i do a podcast i i like people i i want to be out with friends and i i want to go out with people i i think one of the things and this is changing in the last few years but for most of my life, I've had a lot of friends that talk a big game about how much and how often and how hard they want to hunt until it actually comes down to hunting season. And then they have every excuse in the book why they don't want to go. And so it's, right. it's been this thing that's just circumstantially I've always ended up alone. Um, again, as changing. Uh, but I, I think that I've just never – well, Trent – what I, I think I'm saying, I've never hunted elk with somebody on, on like you and Dirk's level, right? I'm always, yeah. it's, it's, there's just a, a big difference in experience level. And so it's not as enjoyable as when I go out by myself. Does that make sense? No, my only advice there would be, do you just need to get better friends? 
<laughs> Dude, my friends yeah. listen to this sometimes. Well, they say they do. They claim they do. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> if they do, take a note. Take I wish, a note. I wish, I wish they could, uh, like when you record a podcast, it tells you who's downloading it. All it does is tell me how many downloads it is. It doesn't tell me who's downloading it. <laughs> I know. Like, I want to know if my mom's lying to me when she says she listens to my podcast. I, I want to know. <laughs> What, uh, I know we're kind of going a little bit long here, guys, um, but I, I do have some, like, I, I don't know if it's, we, we, I usually call it the rapid fire or lightning round or whatever. Um, give us your take real quick. Uh, Dirk, this might be a bit repetitive for you. Hunting a full moon. What do you guys say? Um, I'll, do, I'll hunt it. I ain't, I ain't scared. Okay. Um, there are certain situations with hot, dry, full moon. Yeah, you know, the, it's going to limit the amount of time elk <clears throat> spend on their feet in the daytime. Mm-hmm. But I found on those during those times, um, midday madness, as I call it, hunting that 12 o'clock hour, 12 or 1 o'clock. If, if you know where the elk are at, bedding at, then getting close to there in that midday time or late or evening time when they start getting up and moving around has just been deadly. I mean, I, I've, I've killed a lot of bulls, but I, I've done, I've done, I've done that also in non-full moon time. So I think, I feel like it works even better during a full moon. And here's my, uh, here's my reasoning. Those bulls go to bed pretty early, right? They get to bed at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, sun comes up, they're heading, heading to the Hills and, and bedding down right away. And maybe, maybe even earlier than that. So by 12 o'clock, they've been sitting around, they've been laying around, you know, a bull elk has got only one thing on his mind during that time of year. So he's going to get tired of laying up. He's going to go start sniffing old Betty Sue and Mary Lou and all the other cows there to see if he can find one that's ready to breed. <laughs> is that their name? Is that their official names? Or I, I have to think so. Maybe I don't know. I don't think you have to check with the county. Yeah. Check with the county. That's what I found <laughs> out about buying a house. Check with the county. <laughs> But uh, once they get up, they, they're going to get up and check the herd. They're going to check for a, waiting for that one female to that's going to start uh, making that sweet smell that they've been waiting for all September. Um, but if they don't find it, they're going to probably walk around, rub their horns, maybe even go sneak off for a, a splash and a wallow. But if you're there in that, that 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock hour, then that bull, he's ready to do something. He's kind of bored. And if you can get close and threaten his herd and say, hey, I'm going to come in there and steal your women, um, a lot of times those things will come flying out of there, and uh, they're very vulnerable to to that. You know, they want to stop. I mean, you don't stop the – if you can, you're not going to stop the crack, crackhead once he opens the door into your house. If you can, you're going to kick him off your off the sidewalk, right? Yeah. Wow. So, so, <laughs> so I'm going to be the crackhead. <laughs> On the sidewalk. You get a lot of crackheads down there in Boise, or what's going on with this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I'm just thinking about the old, the, the wrong side of the tracks back in Weeipe. No. <laughs> back when old Doug Flutie used to come over to the house. I'm pretty sure there's only like one side of the track in Weeipe, Idaho. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's all bad. <laughs> no. So I'll answer that just in a, yeah. in a really short, short, short thing is the moon's going to do what it does. Uh, the state of Oregon or the state of Idaho or whatever gives you that many days to go hunting elk. You get your ass off the damn couch. Go out there and hunt them. I don't care what the moon phase. I don't care what the rain phase or whatever the hell that you have in your way. Go hunt them and you're going to learn something. 
every single time. And we've killed bulls on full moons, short moons, small moon, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. It's just <laughs> what is a short hunting? Moon? Yeah, it is. There's a there's a phase actually. I think it's in the polar eclipse. Yeah. I'd expect, Look at that. I'd expect, Rated- only a mooniologist would know that. I don't answer. know if you'd understand it. No, I, I, I yeah. wouldn't understand it. I read a damn book, Jim. Come on. Yeah, read a book. I, guys, yeah. I, I, you're like book. really setting the bar high for a man of my stature. I don't read. I don't even know how to read. <laughs> my whole thing is just go hunting. You've got, yeah. uh, you only have a month to do it. And don't ever look at a moon phase and say, oh, man, the moon phase is off. Yeah, well, that means you're off. Go hunting. Go hunting. So uh, I love that answer, Trent. That, that I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more with uh, with both your guys' answer because it's just that's, and that's why I like having you guys, guys like you on the show. That is, you know, there's no, we're not we're not hyping up something with ulterior motives. This is just realistic experience talking, right? Right. Um, and, there you and, go. and that's what I really that's what I really like about you guys. Uh, I and and. Like along those lines, do you guys have? Uh, I, and I'm sure you you know this pretty well, Trent, with having a podcast and all the all the content that you put out in general. Just I, I guess you get a lot of gear questions, right? Um, yeah. I am not a gear junkie. I I, I am not. I, I, Dirk, you'd be proud, man. I finally broke down and bought a bow um, a couple days ago. I I uh, saw that. Yeah. Good I, job. I I have been hunting with the same bow for over a decade and and i am not a gear guy there's but there's for me there's a few things that are that are super important do you guys have like a what is outside of your bow outside of your weapon what you know let's kind of broaden it whether you're hunting muzzleloader rifle bow whatever outside of your weapon what what do you think is is a piece of gear that people should not chintz out on toilet paper dual ply like um yeah Sherman? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Steve Howard. Uh, yeah. My partner in crime. Yeah. Do apply toy paper is, okay. is yeah. Number one. Number I'm feeling one. it. I'm feeling it, man. That's, <laughs> no, that's sound. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> no, I, I feel like, you know, boots. I mean, people put a lot of money in all these other things, but man, if you don't have good boots that are comfortable and that don't rub, if, and if, the, if they rub blisters on your feet, you're going to go home. You need a pair of boots that don't rub blisters on your feet. They're yeah. comfortable. They're waterproof. They have enough. And have Dirk enough. said it the most. I mean, yeah, it's it's the staples, right? It's the, uh, for one, it's the boots. Dirk nailed it. Uh, for two, it's your sleeping bag. If you're cold at night, if you're, if you're miserable, you're not going to stay out there. So you have to be warm at night. And it's your clothing. I mean, you know, if you're comfortable in your clothing, you're comfortable on your feet, guess what? I'm going to stay as long as it needs to take. And then from there, I mean, it's just the, the small, the small things, you know, sharp knife, all this stuff, you know, can come into play, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be your boots. It's going to be your clothing and it's going to be your bedding. Yeah. Yeah. Great Cause point. if you go home, if you go home, you're out you of go game, home. Right? Yeah. No excuses. No excuses. Other no, than yep. other than people that have matured to a point of my level, where we don't worry about sleeping bags because we have a trailer heater. I love that. I love that. I'm just saying. I love that. I'm just saying. I love that. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. That. Uh, 
Well, no, you're not. You, well, okay, I'm not. I'm not. No, I, actually, I, I, I uh, tent camped recently, and that was the first time in many years, huh, Dirk? That, that, yeah, uh, yeah. First time in many years for me. Didn't know what to do with myself. but um, That's awesome. Uh, the, the, the Crap, man. You just said something, and I really want to ask that question because it's so pertinent to what you guys talk about all the time. Um, um, is spend your money on tags and not gear. Spend money on tags and not gear. Expand on that while I think of what I was actually going to ask you. Well, I feel like there's a certain amount of gear, of course, that you need to go elk hunting, but you don't need to have the latest and greatest little whippersnapper thing every single year. You know, a lot of us, I know Trent included, we, we, and, and, and we're in the industry, but we still are like, we add little things to our gear every year, mm-hmm. but you don't have to run out and buy $5,000 worth of gear the first year. Um, hunt with what you got. I mean, shit, I hunted in tennis shoes when I first had start, started hunting. The first five years of my freaking life, uh, bow hunting elk was in tennis shoes. Yeah. I mean, run right. what you brung. Yeah, run yeah. what you brung, guys. I mean, um, you yeah. don't have to have the most expensive gear. Whatever it is you got, run with it. You know, 100%. I will say, you know, those other things that are going to make you hunt more comfortably, make you stay longer, be more effective. But um, you're just going to have to be tougher, you know, sometimes. Yeah, but spend your money on tags, you know, people, it's funny. I used to work with some guys and I'd go to Wyoming hunt and they'd be like, Oh, must be nice. I'm thinking must (laughs) be nice. I mean, well, I don't know. You got an $80,000 truck and I don't, um, Mm -hmm. you drink mochas, you drink mochas from the mocha stand every single day of the week. I don't know if you took, if you cut out those mochas, you could easily pay for your trip to Wyoming and then some. So I guess it's priority. I hate, I hate that saying, oh, it must be noise. I hate that. Like you, you, people that say that, you have no idea yeah. what it took for me to achieve or obtain this. Don't tell yep. me it must be nice. It must be nice for you to live in a country where you have the same opportunity. Anyway, we're getting way off on a rant on that one. Don't even get me started. Jeez. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry, sorry about guys. that. Sorry, guys. Let's just uh, that's back all right. Oh, that's what the question was. Uh, this is for both of you guys to answer. Um, camel paint or no camel paint? <laughs> that's, that's an easy. That should be an easy one. Depends. It depends if it's a group painting or not. Because <laughs> it, it, it depends if there's preconceived notions or not. Yeah, that was crap. That was crap. Preconceived notions. That was oh, crap. Man. Okay, and I, and I don't care about who knows it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I am a dirt bag. I'll just be honest with you. I can, I can live. I've went 53 days, uh, with, uh, with two different showers and those weren't showers. Those were just bathing in the creek for 53 days straight. So oh, I can man. do just about, Trent, yeah, I knew we'd get along brother. I can do just about anything. Dirk, on the other hand, the finer things in life are, are, yeah, like touching my face and, <laughs> he, he sculpted me. He sculpted me like a beautiful painting. So, <laughs> are you guys are you guys going to hunt together this year, or is, is that not in the cards this year? Uh, we'll or can see. you not we'll say? We'll can you not say? Okay, okay. No, we'll can't. See. We we can't say yet. We can't say yet. But it may or may not happen. I I can tell you right. I can't even I can't even say if I'm even hunting this year. I mean, it's still <laughs> up in the air. I mean, it's, we're we're seeing. But, um, oh, no, that's, that's awesome. I think, um, yeah, the, the camel paint thing. Uh, so I've tried it before, Trent, you'd be proud man. I, I like totally rambled up one time. 
Yeah, you'd be shocked on how many hundred thousand views that stinking painting scenes got. <laughs> it was worth uh, it. I, I wasn't kidding. Oh, I man. feel like that was like one of the most epic YouTube video hunting channel series <laughs> ever. So, no, that was oh, that was awesome, man. man. There I, was awesome. And I feel Go like ahead. it was kind of like one of those. Uh, uh, those people that you hear about that experiment while they're away to college, you know, for it only happened one time. It was kind of an experiment, you know, so I'm not really much of a, I haven't painted my face since. So you're not going to revisit say that. Everybody oh, I, wanted us to I replay might. it at Western. Remember that Western high Expo? we had oh, yeah. money. We had actually money wanted to throw down for people to, to redo it. And we never did it. Oh, I think man. I think we need to do a face painting booth. You should charge people to come and we'll paint their faces. Travel <laughs> travel to all the different county fairs all summer to raise money for good tags and good gear and, and do a face painting booth. It would sell, I'm man. All in. I'll help you promote I'm it. I'll for for a nominal fee, I'll promote that on the Western Huntsman podcast right here. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> so you guys um getting I, I I don't know, not getting back to being serious, but uh, the Gosh, you guys totally threw me off with the whole face painting thing. God damn it! Apologize, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna see us in serious, in serious mode probably at all. Ever podcast. Good. That's what I like to hear. Well, Trent, um, why don't we start rounding this out? Why don't you tell us uh, where people could find you? Find Born and Raised. Find you know all the things about Born and Raised that people should know, and what I need to put on the show notes, all that kind of stuff. You already said it, man. Born and raised outdoors, yeah, everything, which is everything, uh, yeah. Like no. you have, you have Instagram, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I get, I get posted on there every once in a while. Um, yeah, just Instagram. I don't know, Dirk. What is it? Born and raised outdoors, right? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. it's just born and raised outdoors. Yep. And I just, think you even have your personal Instagram. I mean. You've kind of neglected that lately, but I have neglected. I want to get back to that, Dirk. I want to really, I mean, really, you know, take that edge out of that. But at the same time, I haven't done anything. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to let Dirk take that over at some point. I might as well. He might as well. Dirk's pretty good. Dirk's pretty good at that stuff. Dirk's damn good. Dirk's damn good. When I have, when I have like a deep social media question, I call up Dirk. I'm like, dude, how do I? A hundred percent. Because I'm a disaster with it. So, Dirk, how about both. you, man? Where where do people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, The Bugler, one word. And then uh, YouTube, I got some videos on there. Um, all my all my new content on YouTube is going to go on the Phelps Game Call channel, and uh, you can see me there. Sounds good, man. Sweet. Sweet. Well, I am super excited about seeing what's coming out with you guys in the future. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to what content you guys bring uh, this this fall, uh, Trent. It's always like a, a great way when, when we all kind of fall into this post-hunting season depression, what I call it. <laughs> it's nice having these videos coming out because oh, you, it's cool. almost perfect timing. Uh, other than yeah. I think last year you you started putting them out right in the middle of whitetail rut for me, and, and I, was, I was a little bummed I couldn't catch up until December, but – I apologize. Um, I don't even know what the hell whitetail rut is. Well, so I tell you I what, we're going to have words after after we get off here because we got we got to <laughs> hold off till after whitetail rut next year. All right. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and that's a new thing for me too, man. Uh, this whole whitetail thing is is brand new for me, but I I'm loving it. So, Sweet. um, 
you guys, thanks again for coming on. Uh, guys, check out Born and Raised Outdoors on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, and also The Bugler at Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, and also Phelps Game Calls. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Uh, I believe, Dirk, that is the oldest sponsor of this here podcast is wow. Phelps Game Calls. So you should wow. be, tell everybody how you're honored. Wow, super honored. Super oh, wow. honored. Super honored. And so, uh, you guys, thanks again for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. I think people are going to get a lot out of it, and hopefully we can do this in again, or do this again in the future. Yep, sounds Appreciate good. Appreciate it, brother. Yep. Appreciate it. Thank you. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.